I'm so humbled to be with you. It's a huge privilege to be sharing God's word with you. And uh, this morning, I want to share with you, oh, this evening, I was here this morning. I want to share around a vision for Christian maturity. Yeah, that's what I want to speak about, a vision for Christian maturity. I want you to think about this. We, how many minutes do I have? It's good. I'm coming from Weinbeck, so I don't, I'm not in control, so I have to know. Uh, all right. So nice this morning. Great. So I want you to think about this. You have, um, those of you are parents, you look at your little one or little ones when they're born, they don't stay the same. Get a baby who is born today. The desire for us as parents, I'm a parent, it's not for that child to grow quick so that they can leave the house because they, their identity is not going to change. Even if they grow up, they leave the house, they're still going to remain. You know, my kids are my kids. But I think what we can learn from little kids is that as little as they are, you can see the progress in them. From the day they were born, sometimes they surprises us. You know, you just walk out of the kitchen, here is the little one standing and trying to stand on themselves. They realize that there are things that I can wait for my parents to do for me, but there are things that I can do for myself. There is a progress that happens from the day a child is born. And as they start to grow, there is the amount of progress, there is the effort that is happening from both parents' side and also from the little ones. God's desire for his children is to grow, to mature, and to bear more fruits. It is not just to get saved, what we call to be born again, and uh, we remain the same. There is something that has to happen in us. And what maturity does, Christian maturity helps us not to live the way we were living before, even the time when we first got saved. We start to get a different perspective of God, of things, different themes and topics of this world. We start to have different understanding, similarly to our little children. You know, at first they'll take a cup and throw a cup without realizing that there are things that can brought there. But time and time again, they, you start to see that growth and progress. They start to understand that's a TV screen. I cannot just take a cup and throw it to that TV screen. Then I'm not going to have an opportunity to sit and watch something from the TV screen. You understand? So Christian maturity is very important. And it is a vision that each one of us should have a desire to mature as a Christ follower. Amen. So this, morning, this, this evening I'm going to be focusing on 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But before we get there, I just want us to, to take us through one or two passages before we can look at Paul. And we are going to learn from his ministry, from his life. And there are two things that I'd love to leave with us today when it comes to the vision for Christian maturity. 
Proverbs, Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. So where there is no prophetic vision, you know, we must, we are Christians are to live with conviction and we are a people who have to live with the vision of God. The word vision here relates to dreaming. It means a kind of a revelation, a revelation from God. And where there is no this vision, this God-directed dreaming, the people cast off restraint. In other ways, they get out of control. When you don't have a vision that is coming from God's word for your personal maturity, then there is a confusion. You are out of control. There is no maturity. Then you still look at the things the same way that you saw them a few years ago. Even if you can say that you are a Christ follower, I want to remind you this without a vision for your own spiritual maturity, all you are, guide, you are going to be doing is you only move with the momentum of coming together when you are with other believers. But when temptations come, because that's when our maturity is tested, when you are alone and temptations are there, how do you deal with those issues? There are things that we can do together. We can worship together, but there are things that we can do on our own. I cannot read the Bible for you. I'm just giving us an example. Why is this important? So Christian maturity doesn't happen by accident. We have to be intentional about it. Little kids, when they're trying to walk, they're very intentional. It doesn't mean that they're not being born. They're not in the stomach. You cannot, you cannot say, you're already born again. But you have to be intentional about your only walk with Jesus. Yes, I can, as a leader, be intentional about your spiritual growth. But you are to be intentional about your own spiritual maturity as well. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christ follower. The danger is that you can, believe, you can start to live with momentum. Oh, I've believed, I know everything. But yet, only when something will happen, then that's when your maturity is going to be tested. I know friends who were so strong. I thought they believed what we believed. I thought they really rooted themselves in the truth of the gospel. But when things happen in their lives, they turn their back away from God. Now, that particular one, it is as a result of lack of conviction because Christians, we are to be a people of conviction, not people of opinions. I will explain. I remember some years back, it should be about 15 or 17 years ago, a friend of mine invited me to join him at Common Ground Church, Randabosh, but he never mentioned that it was a church because it was a business meeting. He wanted to meet with me there so that we could talk business. He gave me that appointment. I didn't know, by the way, I never knew he was a Christ follower when we met because we were avoiding in our conversation. I was a Christ follower as well, but we were not talking about Bible or what. We were talking about what we wanted to do together. 
people. I didn't also know that he was one of the elders at Rondebush. He gave me the address. I went, those of you who have been around for a long time, you know, Common Ground Church, Rondebush, the old building used to look like a house. So when I got there, I got there very late as a real African man. <laughs> so I got there very late, and there was a man who was closing the gates, and I asked him, I said, I'm looking for this particular person. He said, no, he's left. I never actually thought about it, because you look at it, it's like a house. But I also never, I thought maybe it was the office. He was working on Sunday, and he's left. Then the guy said to me, you can come next week Sunday. I never connected dot where I wanted me to go next week Sunday. Never thought about if it, maybe it's a church meeting or gathering there. He gave me a lift to the train station. He really encouraged me to go back. The guy is still there, by the way. He's still a member of Common Ground Church. So then I went the next week. I never went back. Took a few months, a friend, that same friend, called me and said, hey, Andre, can we connect at the same location again? Then I said, this time I'm going to at least to honor the appointment. I went there on time. Got to the place. I asked, I found a few car marshals outside. I asked them, I'm looking for this person. They said, go through the back door. You will see the person. The moment I get into the venue, it was my colleague who was leading worship. And I remember I look at every word. That's a reason why for me, I don't just wait for a time or for a preacher to share the message. I'm very attentive to God's spirit every time I am among Christ followers because God can speak to you before you feed, even it comes to the sharing of the gospel. Because every word in that day, in, in, in the songs that we were singing, I felt like God was speaking to me. I stood there. I was in tears. I come from the DRC, and I'm a Luba by tribe. We were taught when we were little that men, they don't cry on public, which is nonsense. Men can cry. You have the right to cry. So I stood there. I was crying. I could not live up to what I was taught because the spirit of God really arrested me. And then I recall the lady on the side where I was sitting, she was going to the bathroom, just bringing the tissues. But I also had a whisper from God that, Andre, you finally arrived where I want you to be. There is a reason why I'm telling you this. Then I felt led to read Matthew chapter 6. That's God's way. And verse 33, I'm going to paraphrase. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be given to you. Now, I was seeking the things in that time. I was not seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. Lack of a vision for Christian maturity pushes me to start to chase things, forgetting that success, blessings comes from God. So for me, it was God that saved me, but I needed to try and find my way so that I can actually, it was more or less like I was taking my own life. You know, I was in control of my own life. I was a person without strong convictions. But that day, I went back to my employer the next morning. I said to my employer, 
I want to ask you, if you can allow me not to work on Sundays, I want to remind you, Christ followers are people of conviction. My employer said, but we've got a contract, you have to work Monday to Sunday. And I love it. I was working Monday to Sunday. But I tested something, the beauty of gathering together with brothers and sisters. And I needed to stand for what I believe. I said, this is what I need. And the fact that God, I felt clearly that God had spoken to me, said something has to change. My employer said, no, Andre, it is a deal. You have to work Monday to Sunday. I said, if that's the case, because I discovered that that was an issue of conviction, I said, if it's the case, then I am going to resign. Then my employer saw that it was serious. Said, okay, you are not going to resign, but can we make a deal? You go to your church meeting after that you can come back. I said, yes, now we can talk. Now, why is it important? Why am I telling you this? When we give ourselves to the truth of God's word, when we study the gospel, it helps us to grow in our conviction that every word that we sing, we don't just sing those words, we believe them so deeply. It helps us that when we are looking at different topics and opinions about marriage, about work, etc., it helps us to grow our conviction around those things so that if people comes up with other opinions, we can stand firm and say, that's not what I believe. Our pursuit of knowledge of the word will give us kingdom perspective on different matters. So when we study the word of God, it starts to give us kingdom perspective. That was the start of my journey. I was already a Christ follower, but that day, when God reminded me of his kingdom faith and his righteousness, it was the day I started to become more intentional when it comes to my personal relationship with Christ. I start to ask the difficult questions. For instance, what is God's perspective on sin? What is God's view of marriage? And once we start getting kingdom perspective, we begin developing convictions. Because conviction cannot just come from nowhere. It comes when we are very intentional and spending time in God's word. Once conviction is in place, you will stand firm in your faith. There is no way that you can say, I live by faith without the strong conviction from the word of God. Amen. I heard already about you that you don't say amens in this church. <laughs> but it's fine. I wish you together, maybe that's a way to say. I've, I've a, I respect for your intellectual way of analyzing things. That's why I'm going, trying to go into a bit of intellectual pathway before you can get to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay. So, before I continue this morning, I was walking with my son, and my son made a comment. You know, we do come this side a lot with my family. My son is 16 years old. He's already in high school. So, we are walking uh, in the morning. 
then he starts to notice. He says, hey, Dad, this place is beautiful. I said to my son, I don't see it. You know why I said I don't see it? Because I'm so used to it. When we get used to things, we don't see the beauty. We don't even show the effort to appreciate. It's the same with our own personal growth. Christian maturity, we get so familiar, so used to the things that we don't actually, we stop even appreciating our own salvation as the greatest miracle. So therefore then we just stop. There isn't any growth. Without conviction, you are in danger and vulnerable to any kinds of lofty opinions when it comes to the knowledge of God. You are in danger and you are vulnerable. A number of you sitting here this evening, you have friends, maybe who are trying to pursue you, to tell you that the things that you are believing are not true. And you are close. I know what I'm saying. I know people who were happily married and because one of them get persuaded by these new ideas about marriage, that it's no longer a structure as we see it from the Bible, how God designed it. One of them decided to say, you know what, I'm giving up on this, I'm going for that. I'm not speaking of someone who is not a Christ follower, I'm talking about someone who had received Christ. The question remains, were they saved at the first place? That's a conversation from, for another day. But I just want to let you know that conviction about the word of God is very important because it helps us to really stand firm. Conviction is not an opinion, I'll repeat again, because opinion is something you argue about. Conviction is something you die for. You can argue about things because those are opinions, but conviction is when you said, I am prepared to die even if you say that you are going to kill me, yes, I believe in Jesus. That's conviction. Time and times again, when we are tested, that's when we get to see whether the things that we believe, we truly believe those things. When you are left alone in your workspace, we are, you have been entrusted with so much money to handle, you have the opportunity, in fact, I'll call it the evil opportunity to steal. But if you look at that, you said, I am going to be honest, I am going to report as I have to, because I know that my conviction, I believe that stealing is not good before my God, even if no one is watching, I'm not going to do it. So let me test a little bit of your conviction around this point of marriage. You've got your family, friends, you've got your colleagues at work, they're talking about marriage and do you know the things that are happening today in the world? I want to ask you this question, what is your stand on marriage? When that topic is raised, what do you do? Do you just stay back and really want to please other people or do you stand firm to say this is what I understand about marriage? What is your view on success? What is your view on wealth? And what is your view on power? 
all these things, we must have conviction around all these things. Because the danger is that we are going to discover later on that when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians to the church, when he wrote to them, because there were things that were leaving the culture and getting into the church. And Christians started to believe the things that they shouldn't have, uh, they, they were not supposed to believe. What we need today as much as ever are men and women of godly biblical convictions. That's what we need today. Our conviction, I've, I'm not a person who is against. My kids actually, they read more books than I do. They read a lot. I do read books, etc. But our conviction should be godly and biblical convictions. We want to inform ourselves about other stuff in the world, but we want to be a people who our conviction is coming from the word of God. History tells us that the people who have had the greatest impact on our world for good or evil were not the smartest, nor those who had the most knowledge, nor the wealthiest, not the most talented, but those who have had the deepest convictions for right or wrong. And of course, if you are a Christ follower, it is Jesus. And if you are not a Christ follower, I want to tell you that it is Jesus who has made the most impact. And it is Jesus who had the deepest conviction of all. It is Jesus. His conviction was not about himself. His conviction was to accept, to come and to pay the price for your sins and for my sins. Meaning that he accepted to die for you. He accepted to die for me. That is conviction. No doubt, Jesus was prepared before we even accepted him. That's what the Bible says. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Other people, they may come up with the conviction they want first you to believe in them before they can risk for you. They want to make sure that you are on their side before they can actually show you their goodness. But the conviction of Jesus is demonstrated by his love while we were yet sinners, but Christ accepted to die for us. So in conviction, we want the heart of God. We don't want only to see what God sees, but also to feel what God feels about the world. So when I talk about conviction, about the lost, about his words, about his church. So it is important for us not to take it for granted to really study the word of God. Ourselves, together. Because this is where our conviction should come from. And we cannot fight worldly thinking until we fix our only way of thinking. And I'll get to that shortly. 
So please turn with me to 2 Corinthians now. That was just my introduction. Chapter 10, verse 1 to 6. We are going to go quick. Should not worry, and I'm watching the time. We are going to read. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bore towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. I want you to underline that word, strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. Another word, captive, to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. This is the word of God. I'd love to focus on verse 3 to 5, but before we get there, I want to mention something about verse 1 and 2. Paul's enemies were not meek people. Now, Paul had some enemies. He had some enemies when writing this. There were people who he would call the super apostles, the people who claimed to be the followers of Jesus Christ, who were trying to take the gospel and change it and twist it, and Paul felt the responsibility to protect believers from those kind of thinking and all that they were being fed with. As a result, these people, the only way they would win the trust from those who had believed the gospel that Paul has preached was to make Paul look bad. They felt that push self-confidence was admirable and accused Paul of being timid. They accused Paul of not being a good speaker. They accused him of being weak. They accused him of many, many things. But here we see Paul demonstrating some level of what it means to be a mature Christ follower. There are two things which are not my too many points, but I'll give you two things before we can get to my too many points. The two things that I will pick up from these verses is that there is humility and gentleness. These are the characteristics of Christ that we see Paul is displaying. Because when it comes to Christian maturity, the way that we handle things in our day-to-day -day life will prove to say that we are such mature Christ followers. Here we learn, we see that humility in the way that Paul is addressing this group of people, humility recognizes God as one's authority and takes a servant attitude towards people. So you will have people come with different arguments, with different ideas. Yours is not to start and fight them and to start and try to push them back. We are to show some level of humility because we have to understand that 
Jesus did not come for those who are good. He came for those who are bad. He came for sinners like you and I. We have been saved by the grace of God. Therefore, there are so many people. Otherwise, if the job was already done, the church cannot exist. We gather here because God is at work, and he is at work in rescuing and calling people back to himself. So we need some humility. Gentleness refers to strength under control, and we can see that in Paul. And is expressed through fairness and graciousness to others. Paul is accepting what these guys were saying. Though he was not weak, but he's writing about it. He's not actually ashamed about it. You'd recall, you'd remember when we read Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. It is not the work that I do. It is not out of myself. It is the gospel that has the power to transform and to change people. So there is nothing. Paul was not ashamed of anything. He did not want to fight with the people like physical fights because they were standing as obstacles. When he was trying to proclaim the gospel, he understood that this is not a physical battle. And if you are sitting here, it is not me who is saying it. It is in scriptures. Paul, he put all that was happening at Corinth, he considered it as a warfare. He saw it as a spiritual battle. There are so many things that are written for our kids today. We are actually competing with the world and different voices. If you are a parent, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of things that are written, which they are ex we, we, our kids are exposed to. You don't look at that and go, oh, I am going to fight the guy who is writing about this stuff. Why are they teaching our little kids about sexual stuff? No, 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 no. We have to see it in the picture of an author. It is an author. This leads me to my first point. Paul says this in verse 3 and 4, destroying strongholds. That's my first point. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, we don't fight with politics. We don't fight with money. We don't fight with all the humanistic ways. We don't fight with that. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The Apostle Paul says here that our job in this battle is to destroy strongholds. How many of you know strongholds? What are strongholds? Now we are going to do it. Let's not me preaching. Two people volunteer, please. What are strongholds? Strongholds? Is this the first time you are hearing about this? There's a brother there. Very good one. Some stuff that are keeping you not to be who you want to be. And, and I'm going to explain who, who God wants you to be. That could, that's one example. But let, let, let's look at this. I put it in a category, 
strongholds, it is a mental block. Paul is talking about pretensions, arguments set against the knowledge of God. This is a mental battle. And he says, destroy these strongholds. A stronghold can be one of two things. It can be a worldview, such as materialism, relativism, communism, atheism. All these, should I call them isms? All of them, there are strongholds. Because they are going against the knowledge of God. A stronghold can also be a personal attitude. In my case, the reason I told you my story earlier, because mine was worry. No wonder why God wanted to remind me about Matthew 6. I was so worried about my life. I was so worried about my comfort. I was so worried. I wanted to achieve stuff so quick and I wanted to be settled. There is, you know, I forgot that God is the giver of all. So worry can be a stronghold. Seeking the approval of others can be a stronghold. How many of you are here? All you do each day from Monday to Saturday is working out so that you can be approved by other people. That can be a stronghold. You want to receive approval from your parents. Or maybe parents want to receive approval from their children. You want to, uh, to, to receive approval from your employer, from your colleagues. That can be a stronghold. Anything that you make an idol in your life can be a stronghold. Now, anything that you make an idol, it's not only the wrong thing, including the good things. Your spouse can be a stronghold or can become a stronghold because you think that all your life depends on him or her. You look up to him or her for your happiness, for your peace, for your joy. Now, listen, you know, my brother spoke earlier on about the memorial that happened here on Saturday. We are all going to face the physical day. Now, if your spouse becomes the source of your happiness and joy, listen to this. The day that he or she will be taken away from you, your world, that's when your maturity is going to be tested. Our trust and dependence should be on God. So you are to destroy those strongholds. It doesn't mean that you don't have to love your spouse. No, 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 no. It just means that you are looking at your spouse. You say, yes, he or she loves me, but I know someone loves me more than he or she does. And I can look up to him and that person is Jesus Christ. He will never leave you. He will never forsaken you. He will always be there for you. Fear, guilt, resentment, insecurity can be stronghold. Why are you scared? Why are you so afraid of tomorrow? Why are you so scared that you are too scared to let go of your job because you are thinking, if I just let go of this, it's finished for me. We don't have much time. 
I am not standing here to say to you that, you know what, I am so okay in this area, but at the same time, I have to say this to you, I've gone so much, I've gone through so much that I've looked back, I said, if there are people who should be the first one to put their hand up and say, God, I'm giving up on you, I should be on that list because I've seen it all in terms of rejection, suffering, pain, etc. I remember when I first landed in this country, I walked through from the station in this road because I was looking for a place where I could sleep. I walked, I landed in this country with 20 rand in my pocket. I looked at the place, I felt the Lord say, yeah, this is the place, but yet I had no place to sleep. But throughout my journey, it has been one episode after the other. And most of them, if I have to count the negative ones, there are many compared to the positive one. But yet I'm standing here sharing God's word with you and I'm doing with this strong conviction because I understand that there are things that happen in our lives that are strongholds and we are to destroy them because God is a living God and we have to trust him. It is not for us to bring God to the level of our problems because our problems are not bigger than God. I was expecting an amen. You don't have to be shy to say amen. The Bible says that we are to tear down these things. Maybe this evening it's your day for you to destroy those strongholds. You have been holding that thing for many years. You don't want to let go. You don't want to forgive. You don't want to forgive yourself. You don't want to forgive people who have hurt you in the past. I'm telling you, that's an example of a stronghold. You have to let go of that. You have to surrender tonight. You have to say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. You have to take the courage to go out of this place and pick up the phone call and call that person. I'm telling you, that is a sign of spiritual maturity. The person who received the call from your side, they will be shocked and surprised. Therefore, they're going to see that there is progress. If this person said he or she is a Christ follower, this is the fruit of what it means to be a Christ follower. A sign of great spiritual maturity. My second point. Taking every thought captive. Verse 5. Look at the very last phrase in the passage. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. I can't read the word in Greek, but the meaning is so deep. To control, to conquer, to bring into submission. You don't just destroy strongholds, but you bring them into submission to Christ. Now let me give you this picture. You attack a military camp, you destroy all the equipment, we use that celebrating to say that you've taken that camp into control, while you don't even see any deceased people, enemies, or without capturing them, you don't know, maybe they're hiding somewhere just not far from you. So you haven't, you've just destroyed the equipment, but you didn't take the people into captive. So they won't be submissive to you. They can attack you back. So we don't just destroy strongholds, but we get to take, taking every thought captive. 
getting every thought to submit to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, every thought obedient to Christ himself. We make it obey. Bring it into submission. Bring it under control, the leadership of Jesus. But the question is, how do we do that? How do you make your mind mind? This isn't easy because our minds often don't always mind. They feed on anything. Maybe not your mind, but my mind. It is often disobedient. It's often very rebellious. It wants to go in a different direction than the direction that I want it to go. When I want to think a certain way, it wants to go on another way. When I need to ponder, it wants to wonder. I don't know about you. That's just me. When I need to pray, my thoughts want to float away. They want to go on different direction, but when I need to pray. The battle for sin always starts in the mind. And I'm saying we are to destroy strongholds. Paul qualifies all the arguments in that category of strongholds. We need to realize that our minds are broken. And the question is, how do we fix our minds? Paul talks about this in Romans 7 and he says, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. This is the Apostle Paul. I'm glad to see and to know that the sequent congregation, the people here, they only do the good they want to do and not the bad thing. Is that true? Not at all. Do we have some confession to make this evening? We are getting there. I'm watching my time, okay. Our minds are broken by sin. When I see a brother, I'm talking to a brother who doesn't believe what I believe, I don't want to think bad about that person because I was once there. I was once there. I was once thinking exactly the same thing that maybe that brother is thinking about. I just want to find a way that how can I be of a blessing to this brother or to this sister without coming across as though I am fighting them physically. Our minds are broken by sin, which means we cannot trust even what we think ourselves. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is Jeremiah the prophet. We have an amazing ability to lie to ourselves. You do it all the time, so do I. We lie to ourselves. Let me give you this example. Uh, it's not actually an example. It happens. I'm talking to a particular lady. By the way, with permission, she's allowed me to use this. I'm not mentioning her name. She's a Christ follower, a person I like. You know, I like her so much, and she's part of our community. So I'm talking to this person. How are you doing? 
I am so well. The Lord is good all the time and all that. Then a few steps away, I start to watch. She's talking to other people there, and she's in tears. She's crying. She's weeping. Then I say, okay, my sister in Christ just lied here. Everything is good. Then afterward, then comes back to you and says, oh, things are not good. You see, we lie even to ourselves. We make commitment even to ourselves that we can keep. We have expectation of ourselves that we cannot keep. But I have to tell us this. We cannot do all these things, even when it comes to our desire for our spiritual maturity, we can't do all these things without Jesus and the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We need the Holy Spirit. The great weapon is the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the reason why it's important to really continue to feast on Jesus and to continue to study God's word. Here are the two ways to guide our minds because our minds is broken and sinful. Two ways to guide our minds. Philippians 4, 6 to 8 gives us two ways to guide our mind from all the junk. Think about this. You sit in front of a screen. Something wrong is, you know, not, not a good image is passing there. Unappropriate stuff are happening. You do this. And then you do this. You open your eyes. You open your eyes. You say, oh, shut up. Do it. So we can't even trust ourselves. Our mind, you know, you, you look, you say, okay, it's just now, but tomorrow I'm not going to do that. Or later on then tomorrow you can't do this. You just leave, you watch. So we can't even trust ourselves. That's what I mean. You, you know, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We, want, we, have, we have to cry out to God to help us to destroy these strongholds in our mind and to take taking into captive all these thoughts that are not of God. Here are the two ways to guide our minds, and we are very soon going to be landing. I read, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which suffices all understanding, I want you to underline that. The peace of God, which suffices all understanding, will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We don't think in our hands. We think here. How do you know when you have the peace that surpasses our understanding? Before I can give us the two ways to guard our hearts. Here's the answer. Or maybe someone has the answer here. How do you know when you have the peace that surpasses our understanding? How do you know? The answer is simple. When you give up trying to understand fully why God does what he does and simply trust him. This is the secret that I've learned. In fact, Jesus is the master. Looking up to what was coming ahead of him, he prayed to the Father 
not my will, but yours. Let your will be done. So when you stop, when you give up trying to understand fully why God does what he does and simply trust him. God, I trust you. I know that things are not working in my career currently, but I trust you. Lord, I know that my marriage is, is having issues, but I want to trust you. I don't want to look and try to ask, you know, but that doesn't mean that we are pushing away our responsibilities. We want to engage and ask the right question, but we want also to know that God is not surprised by what is happening in our lives. He is aware of every details, and he knows how those things will end. For us, it is just to trust him and say, God, I trust you. I trust you with my children. I'm not going to be so much worried about who they will become tomorrow. Yes, I'll do my part as a responsible father, as a responsible mother. I'll do my best to try and point them to you, but I trust you, God, because you know them. I'm just a steward. I am stewarding what you have given me, and I'm going to do it faithfully. The job that you have, you are given that to steward it well by God. Relationships that God has given you, he has given them to you so that you can steward those relationships. We are God stewards. This peace will guard your hearts and your mind. So here's the first way we can guard our hearts and mind. The first way you guard your heart and mind is in everything. In prayer or by prayer. In prayer. Everything in prayer. Paul says, then Paul says to think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable in your workplace. Think about whatever is honorable. How are you looking at people who are not like you? in your neighborhood, even in this community. Think about whatever is honorable, honorable too, to God. Whatever is just, when it comes to the way that you treat people, your neighbors, your people, your colleagues, friends and family, whatever is just to God, whatever is pure, when it comes to your sexuality, whatever is pure, think about those things. Don't think about the junk. Whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, these are the things that we are to think about. Notice that he says to pray about everything. If you were to pray as much as you worry, you would have a lot less to worry about. Amen. Don't worry about anything but pray about anything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Sorry. You pray about everything. Now, let's learn this. I borrowed this idea of the word think in Ephesians 4 from one pastor, Pastor Rick Warren. He said, he looks at that think. He said, this word think here are the five things to remember in our own lives and to teach to others on the battle of your mind. And he said the word T and think stand for test every thoughts. Coming from 
Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So maybe for you this evening is to ask God to search and test your thoughts. And I want to encourage you, and I want to ask you, don't believe everything you think. Test every thought. You have to test it. Test it against the word of God. H stands for amateur your head. If you're a Christ follower, you know Ephesians chapter 6, 17 speaks about the salvation. Take the amateur of salvation. If you are in Christ, we are already protected because the weight is already done by him. We've received the gift of salvation. Therefore, we are covered in the blood of Jesus. I stand for imagine great thoughts. Think about all the great promises of God. Everything is possible to him who believes. What an amazing, amazing truth to know that everything is possible. If you believe in Jesus, there is nothing that is impossible. And stand for nourish a godly mind. Make sure that you are growing and developing. Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. You have to make sure that you are growing and you are developing. Meditate and fix your eyes on God. Study and reflect on the word of God. You have to meditate it day and night. And the last word, how do you pronounce it? Think, what is that last word? Is it K? I just wanted to make sure that you know it. I was just trying to get your attention. K stands for keep on learning. The Bible says practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. First Timothy 4.15. I want to ask you this question. Since you become a Christ follower, do others see progress in your life? The way that you talk, the way that you engage with people, the way that you make decisions about your finances, about your, your, about your work. Are your words and conversations more powerful, more meaty, deeper, stronger, more practical, more life-touching? How are your words? No child. Who is born today will remain a child forever. We are called to maturity. We are called to grow. And we are to be more intentional about our own spiritual maturity. You need a vision for your life. God bless you.